Well, I'd like to start with prayer. I think that's a good place to start. That's like uh, Strong Gray and me were talking about the other day. That's like 95% of sermon preparation. (laughs) So join with me. Lord, we uh, come to your mercy seat today. Uh, We are weak. We are... Poor, we need a savior, and uh, you knew that, and you brought us a savior. You were the savior we needed. So we pray that uh, today's, the sermon today would uh, would be primarily your words um, coming to us, and uh, not my own opinions, not my own will. I pray that even as we listen, we don't listen through uh, our own desires and wants, but through your desires and wants, Lord. So I pray that we would would be filled with joy today at the fact that you came to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, today's a good day. Amen. Um, So I got... I'm going based off the church calendar today, um, so we get a lot of really great scripture readings, <laughs> and uh, so I guess we'll just jump right into it, starting with Psalm 118, if everyone wants to turn there. And no PowerPoint today, because last week I saw Stephen didn't have one, and it made me take better notes, so... Hopefully it makes you take better notes. (laughs) Hopefully you can follow me. (laughs) So Psalm 118, we're going to kind of briefly hang out here, and then uh, we'll come back to it towards the end. There's a main, one main section I want to get to, so let's jump to uh, verse 22 and start there. This isn't the whole scripture reading for the week, but this is where we're starting. Like I said, we'll come back and read the rest. Psalm 118, verse 22. A stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord... It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please, O Lord, do save us. Please, O Lord, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So something I want to pull out here is is we're going to set the stage a little bit. Um, so, Matthew twenty one forty two is kind of right in line with what we're talking about today. This is after Christ's triumphant, triumphant 
entry into Jerusalem, right? His victorious entry. This is something he said about himself. He said, Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? I think this is, this is funny because, you know, considering who he's talking to, Pharisees and such, it's like a slam. <laughs> you ever read the scriptures? Today, it, would, it wouldn't seem like a, a slam because most of us haven't, <laughs> including myself. I haven't read nearly enough scripture, you know. I've got to read through it lots of times. But anyway, so he says, Did you never read in the scriptures a stone which the builders rejected? This has become the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's a direct quote from Psalm 118. And Christ was saying this is about him. So that's point one. Christ thought Psalm 118 was about him. Paul said in uh, Acts 4.11, if you're taking notes, Acts 4.11, He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. So now Paul's saying it. And like we all know, Paul said, imitate him as he imitates Christ. He's just following Christ's example. He thinks this psalm was about Christ as well. Mike's a little hot. Can we take it down? Thanks. So we're building a, a, a case here that this psalm is about Christ, hopefully. If you need one last example, um, Matthew 21.9 and Mark 11.9, both are examples of the people of God saying, when he came in, or he's walking through, ready to enter Jerusalem, and the people are, you know, laying down their palms and, and coats and preparing the way, and he's coming in on the donkey. Um, they sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, a direct quote from this psalm. So the people that were following Christ thought the psalm was about him. So we will come back to this psalm. I've also uh, like to point out we've linked uh, our other scripture reading for today, Mark 11, with this psalm. Like they're one is speaking about the other. Okay. So Mark 11, verses one through 11. And just to set the stage here, like, Christ coming to Jerusalem before his, his passion was not like a, a tacked-on thing at the end of his ministry. Okay? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't like, well, we've come to the end of the line, and this is where we ended up. Um, like, this was Christ's whole plan. Um, it was God's whole plan for, for forever, since Adam. This was God's plan. He's like, Christ will start his ministry, and he'll end up coming into Jerusalem during the Passover. And we know that because of, like, 
I've already laid down some scriptures that kind of speak to this, but if the truth is, if you do a study on like what scriptures show that Christ was going to enter Jerusalem and be crucified and rise, raise again the third day, and like it'd be hard to comprehensively find all the scriptures, I think. I mean, there are people who have done it. It's, it's amazing. Most of the Old Testament's pointing to this day. Most of the Old Testament. In some way or another, you know, we say that scripture points to Christ, right? All scripture is about Christ and speaks about him. And, and not just about Christ, but about his death and resurrection. It's pointing to this apex. You know, I, one thing that was really significant to me one time to, to reframe how I thought about things um, and I, I might have gotten, I forget where I heard this. It was on a podcast years and years ago. So uh, I'm probably misquoting it. But what I got out of it <laughs> is that, uh, you know, a lot of us like to think about this, about the Bible or about uh, earth and heaven and hell and, and Christ coming to save us as like, he's just trying to clean up dirty water or something. Like, and so if he doesn't, make us perfectly righteous. Like, we think that's his plan, is to just clean us up, right? So we look at it, and we're like, Christ came just to make us clean, and so, like, why did, why couldn't he just do that right away? Why couldn't he just, like, snap his finger and we all be righteous? Because I know we all would love that, <laughs> right? Um, but that's not what God's plan was. What God was doing with history wasn't just... He didn't send Christ just to make us clean. It's a beautiful byproduct. Um, And it was part of his heart. He was writing like one of the best stories ever written. And when you think about it that way, it's like... Oh yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's struggle and there's, there's like... Um, if you think about it in the terms of a story, you know, you've got the antagonist and the protagonist, and you've got the damsel in distress, by the way, that's the church, <laughs> and the hero, which is Christ. And every good story has, has a climax, has an apex. And I love that in this season we get to, uh, in a special way, remember that that best part of the story, right? Which, which, by the way, any good story also has a, and they lived happily ever after, and they like, things get better and better and better and better, right? It's in a positive direction. It's, it's like the story's hopefully like uh, not over. So this is a great story. So if we're thinking about it like that, we're right now what we're talking about is the climax. So all of the Old Testament is built up for that. It's background, it's foreshadowing, it's let's meet the characters, right? What do you think all of Israel's history was like? Let's meet what man is like. <laughs> what is your heart? Do you faithfully serve the Lord and when he gives you commandments, you... Say, yeah, Lord, we'll keep them. And then you keep them? No. <laughs> Say, yeah, Lord, we'll keep them. 
Uh, and you say that out of a lying mouth. And, and we meet Christ, and we meet God and what his character is like towards us, the church, towards Israel, and how he spares them time and time again and just lavishes them with grace and mercy. So just to kind of set the stage that this was his intention, um, Isaiah 57 50, chapter 50, verse 7, is something you'll want to write down. And by the way, uh, if any of these references I've pulled out, if the, you know, the one verse speaks to Christ... In this moment, you can go back and read the whole chapter or the whole book or the whole Old or New Testament and see it further expound. <laughs> um, there's really no limit. So go back and, and see what, what verses surround these verses. So Isaiah 57 says, For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have made my face like flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. So we jump forward to Luke 9, verse 51. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, was is talking about Christ, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So, growing up, I was a homeschooled kid, which meant that... Um, some people think I uh, missed out on opportunities for social skills, which may or may not be true. <laughs> but it also meant that I got to go on a lot of really cool field trips, and I had a homeschool mom. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that we did a lot in Ohio, it's, it's a cool thing, is, is going and finding uh, arrowheads, right? Um, and so when I hear this verse, my face... I set my face like flint, or I set, you know, Christ set his face to go to Jerusalem. Like, flint was often used for arrowheads because of how it was. Um, it had special properties that, that when you hit it with the rock and struck it on the right spot, it would chip in a very, you know, what you'd want for an arrowhead. It'd be sharp and rigid. And it wouldn't break easily, um, so you could reuse it. And, like, we're still finding arrowheads today all the time. Like, people, you throw a rock, and that rock might have been an arrowhead, <laughs> right? Like, in, in the U.S. Um, they last. But, so I get this picture of, like, like, Christ saying, I'm like an arrow, and I'm going to go towards Jerusalem. I'm... I'm like, nothing's going to break my focus. I'm not going to deviate. I'm not going to hit Jerusalem and then it'd be like some anticlimactic, like, uh, he almost did it, <laughs> you know, or like, he got there and then got arrested and killed, so I guess it almost worked. <laughs> um, he went with purpose and he went with, 
zeal, and, and he wasn't going to be distracted from this purpose. I think of, of an arrow shooting, like, who's going to deviate an arrow once it's flying? I mean, you can try, but I don't recommend it. So this was in his heart, this was in Christ's heart, this was in God's heart. He was going to Jerusalem for a purpose. And so we should ask, what is he coming for? We get the benefit of, of seeing his death and resurrection, and we say, oh, I know his purpose. Um, but I think like we often act like everyone else didn't have that insight. They didn't know what was coming either. They could have known what was coming either. They had Psalm 118, right? They, they knew what, what Christ, the, what the Messiah was coming for. They should have anyways. Like, we should... The fact that... Let's put it this way. So, we like to give the Pharisees a hard time and the Israelites a hard time and, the, and the, even the disciples a hard time for not seeing the full picture of what God was doing. Um, when the truth is, is like, they were dealing with a lot of the same information we were and we should think, oh, maybe we'll have a hard time getting it fully. That should be our posture. Our posture towards scripture should be more if they could fall prey to this, you know, Pharisees were experts at the scriptures. They, you know, that culture of that time was having all of their young men memorize at least the Pentateuch. We can't even read through the Pentateuch in our culture. And their kids were memorizing it. And they missed it. So our posture should be, what am I missing when we go to the Word? Our posture should never be, oh, I, I don't want to hear another Palm Sunday sermon. Or I've heard the gospel before. Or I've heard about Christ's passion before. Um, I know this story, right? There's guarantee there's things we're missing about the depth of this story. Always. There's things we're missing about the depth of God's heart in it. And we should never give up reading and considering it and telling our children about it and celebrating it. And it should bring joy to our hearts. This is why, we, we're, why we're doing the church calendar thing with the scriptures is because it's designed to like get all the major points of the Bible to us you know, every three years. Mm-hmm. Just if you come on Sundays. <laughs> and it, like, this, the church calendar scripture readings are like something that is, is, it transcends denominations, so you know it's good. If something transcends denominations, you know it's good. It's like, well, if we all have unity in that thing, then, then you shouldn't have disunity with us on it. 
You know what I mean? So we, we should always be bringing it back to ourselves. Like, like when scripture says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, and we follow the verses and say, oh, Christ is the bread, and Christ is the word, and so what should we be getting daily? Is We should be getting the gospel daily. You know, that's something impactful uh, that Greg's told me. To, it's like you should preach the gospel to yourself daily. We forget so easily. We should preach it to ourselves. We should preach it to our spouses. We should preach it to our kids. We should uh, preach it to each other. Uh, in a true gospel, like, haven't you heard kind of way. The good news kind of way, right? I think sometimes we like to preach the gospel to each other in a I'm right and you're wrong kind of way. You need to fix your attitude. Uh, which may be true. <laughs> but it should be a joyful thing. It should be something that, like, this was the apex, the climax was Christ dying and raising again. That, that single moment in history, we base our years off of that. <laughs> You know, based off Christ's life. We base, we should base every interaction we have off of that. That, that changed our world. Not just Israel's, you know, history. Not just America's history. It changed the world. It's like a bigger deal than, the, than July 4th. It's, you know, <laughs> there's been points in church history where they didn't celebrate Christmas, but they celebrated the passion as a church. It's a big deal, right? So what was he coming for? We established he was coming to Jerusalem. He set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. Um, I usually don't do that unless I have a reason to. I don't just go around everywhere really purposefully with no purpose. Uh, that'd be a little silly. I've seen people like that. I used to go to Wright State, and every once in a while you see someone walking to class really diligently, and you're like, why are you walking diligently to class? Uh, what's your purpose? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I could have been a better student probably. Uh, <laughs> his purpose. So we come back to Psalm 118. So if you're still there, if you got your finger there, turn back. I'm going to read the whole thing this time. And I will be stopping in at random points. So don't, please don't be mad at me for interrupting my own reading. All right, Psalm 118, verse 1 and 2. And then we'll jump to verse 19. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy is everlasting. Let Israel say, his mercy is everlasting. So you could say the first and primary goal of this, of Christ coming to Jerusalem, for him, you know, he also knew he was, if he was saying, Psalm 118 is about me, 
if he knew all of the Old Testament was about him, that he was the Messiah, and he's, he's told his disciples, this is what's going to happen to me, I'm going to die. Like, he knew what he was doing and set his face like flint to Jerusalem anyways. That's a point, an important point. We'll come back to that. So it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. That is the primary purpose for Christ going to Jerusalem. Because the Lord is good. And his mercy is everlasting. So we say together today, his mercy is everlasting. Right? That's our hearts. That's what we should hear when we hear this, this gospel. So jumping down to 19. Open the gates of righteousness to me. I will enter through them, and I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. So when I, uh, John Gill uh, is a great commentary, uh, has a great commentary, and when he read this, or when I was reading his commentary, he equated this to the temple, and uh, I'd take that even a step further, because when we talk about Christ, one of the famous verses is that the veil was torn in two. Right? So, what is the gate of righteousness? I... It's not a stretch to say that it's the veil that was in the temple. It's whatever's standing between the Holy of Holies and us. Right? Which, in that time, like we've talked about before a lot, I know I hit this point a lot, hopefully you're hearing it, is like one person one time a year could enter the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. And that person had to be like very ceremonially clean. Like super straight edge, like, even shaved that morning, like, clean, <laughs> you know. Like, they were apologizing for their sins and everyone else's sins. <laughs> you know, they were, they were bringing those before the Lord. They were making sacrifices, and they were coming to the Lord as clean as humanly possible. Which if we read other parts of scripture, we realize still isn't that clean. <laughs> but what happened when Christ died and rose again was that veil was torn and those gates of righteousness, the, the things that you couldn't go through the veil unless you were righteous enough. Okay? And you can't go through these gates of righteousness, obviously, unless you're righteous enough. But what's on the other side is the presence of God. It's a place where we can come to the Lord and thank Him. It's the place where we can come to Him and say, you've become my salvation. It's a 
a sacred place. It's a special place. You know, we don't have nearly the reverence for that place as we should. You know, I, this is a silly thing. Uh, I think can be silly sometimes. So what I've heard is when there's a new Mormon temple being built, they will let visitors who are non, non-Mormons come and visit before it's opened. Like once. They'll let you come in. And then you, they leave, and you know what they do? They rip up all the carpet and put new carpet in. Why? Because if you're not a Mormon, you're unclean, you're not righteous enough, and you've spoiled their carpet. And now it's no longer a sacred temple, and they need to make it sacred again. So they put new carpet in, which was made by man. (laughs) But honestly, like, if we were to enter into God's presence under our own righteous deeds, um, it would take more than ripping up the carpet for, for that temple to be sacred enough for God's presence. It's like we can't get ourselves clean enough or righteous enough to enter into God's presence. And, you know, the first thing that the psalmist here wants to do when he enters God's presence is to thank him. Which, again, like, why is that not our hearts? Um, Our first thing we want to do when we enter God's presence is like, Lord, give me this and this and this. Uh, The Lord's given us a lot already. If you can finish thanking him for all the things he's done for you already, then be my guest and start petitioning for more. But it's going to take you a while, if you really think about it. Anyways, so they're coming into God's presence, and and so this is another reason Christ came for his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, why he set his face like flint, why he was so determined uh, to die for us to be the hero of the story to, uh, by the way, another great story trope is the hero dying, sacrificing themselves. There's a reason we like that in books and movies. Um, Very heroic. Anyway, so he comes and it's so that we can enter God's presence. It's so that we can be made righteous. So we read further. A stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's another point here. He's building something. What's he building? I think a lot of times, uh, if you're an Old Testament thinker, you're thinking about the temple. Um, uh, Some commentators believe that David wrote this psalm. A lot of them do, actually. So David was thinking about the temple a lot. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) And he's, you know, I just got a new house, and for weeks, my, uh, wrongfully, my, my resting thoughts have been about what projects am I going to start in my home, and how am I going to start those projects? And honestly, um, that's been something that I've experienced since we, you know, put in our offer on the house. So it's been 
a month or so. You know, projects that are way far out that aren't going to happen anytime soon. I'm considering and thinking, like, how am I going to start this? What's the, the chief cornerstone that I'm going to lay for this project, right? Uh, and David's got a bigger project in mind, and it's a project given to him by God. And you think he's, he's thinking about this all the time. And he's like, well, you can't build a good temple without a chief cornerstone. And Christ is the one that the builders rejected. And, and if you think about that, the builders are like the professionals who are like, yeah, that's not good enough. And um, something in our culture that I, I don't know if this gives it any more gravity or not is like, we like to cut corners to get the project moving along, right? And so we're talking about builders here like been waiting intense for years and years and years in a, a, temp or a, a temple or that was like a tent. And they're like, we need a good place for the Lord. And uh, like, let's get this thing moving. And it can't start without a cornerstone, a chief cornerstone. And they're like, let's reject this one. We've waited all this time and, and the ones come to us. Let's reject it and push the project back a little bit longer. So that's like in their hearts, they're like, this is really the wrong cornerstone. Like to delay the project, they had to have really thought, this is not it. I mean, and, and so we're coming to this image of, again, Christ said this is about him. So he's the chief cornerstone. Who are the builders? Who were supposed to build the church? Were the leaders of Israel or the, the religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees. These guys were supposed to be building the church. They're the builders. Okay, And they see the cornerstone. They've been waiting for a cornerstone since this psalm, since before this psalm. They've been waiting for a cornerstone. They've been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for someone to come so that the temple could be built and they could worship God properly. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, they've been exiled. They've been brought back. They've been conquered by Rome. The intertestament period, like, Israel almost didn't exist, and we don't even know that. Like, it was almost lost before Christ came. So, like, Israel was going through a lot of tribulation, a lot of times. <laughs> Losing homes, moving to different lands, uh, so on and so forth, like, 400 years of peace that we've experienced here in our own countries. Like, what? <laughs> They've been waiting for a savior. And Christ comes along, and their hearts were so set against him that they rejected the savior. They really didn't like Christ. <laughs> they really didn't think he was what, was what was coming. But he came to be the chief cornerstone to build the church, to build the temple, to build uh, God's kingdom. That's why he came. And so the verse 23 says, this came about from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. So again, like heart posture today, like this is really cool stuff. I don't know if I've marveled at anything in a while. I, I, regular, I guess I marvel 
frequently. Um, I don't. It, that's a strong word. You know, we we've in our culture lost the meaning behind awesome, the word awesome, uh, and marvelous. Like these words of like splendor and like beholding glory, because I don't know. Uh, any reason, number of reasons, probably our wicked hearts and our sin nature, but we've lost the ability to marvel. But like, let's not lose the ability to marvel in this day. So this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please, O Lord, do save us. Please, O Lord, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. And we're coming to the end here. Um, he's given us light. That's another great thing. If you, you could spend a whole day just looking up verses about light and how good it is. Um, uh, that's like half of Pinterest, I'm pretty sure, is just like, projects on how to get more light in your backyard or in your house or something like that, <laughs> you know, some fancy way. That was one of, uh, Christiana had a, a blast this Christmas because we actually decorated our house for Christmas and it was just lights everywhere, like <laughs> string lights and Christmas lights and, but it's important. It's a big deal. Uh, I remember hearing the story of a guy who, uh, you know, he was a little crazy. Um, thought it'd be a fun adventure to go into Africa. No, it wasn't Africa, it was the Amazon. I think he went into the Amazon. And he's like, I'm going to go on a hike with this other guy who knows nothing about Amazon, about the Amazon. And like, they go into the wilderness and they get lost immediately because they know nothing. And they were lost for like two weeks, right? And he said it was terrifying because as it got dark, which it was usually decently dark because you're talking about the, uh, like the, one of the most dense forests in the world. And when it gets dark at night, it gets really dark. And he said it would get so loud because of all the living creatures that were in that forest. Millions of things that could kill him. <laughs> and then he's in this dinky tent with some sort of stranger uh, who ate all his rations. And he's like, why am I even with this guy? Uh, we should go our separate ways. And, and he's pitch black darkness with sounds of every kind of thing that wants to kill him and eat him. We don't get darkness in our culture either. If you want to add it to the list of things we don't understand from today's sermon. Uh, <laughs> we don't get darkness. And so how can we understand light? So this week I challenge you to consider darkness. And how glad you are that we have light. Then he says, bind the festival sacrifice to the horns of the altar with cords. Now this is the last point I want to 
I want to hit on before we end is Christ came to be the lamb led to the slaughter silently. Um, Christianity says this point's been made in these kinds of sermons a lot. Not the lamb part, but what I'm going to say following this is it's been used in these sermons a lot. And I had actually never heard it. So I was like, oh, interesting. And I was like, I won't use it in today's sermon because it's just an interesting point. But I'm going to use it nonetheless. Uh, Christ came in on a donkey that had never been, been used, never been ridden, okay? And so I had to confirm with my uh, equestrian expert, Christiana, <laughs> uh, like, because uh, the John Gill commentary is like, yeah, so that would have been difficult because the fact that the donkey didn't, like, buck him off because it had never been ridden or saddled before is pretty cool. And I was like, is that true? Are donkeys like that? And she's like, yeah, it's true. And so, you know, I, I was like, that's a cool fact. Um, I probably wouldn't have mentioned it other than like to mention that like whatever you want to say about the donkey, uh, say it, I guess. Uh, but I'm immediately thinking about Christ and all, you know, we sing songs about how he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And not just like, he wasn't like kicking and wailing. You know, Christ wasn't kicking and wailing. He was silent. You know, and whatever this donkey was experiencing, I'm sure it had something to do with Christ's attitude and spirit was this is, you know, I'm not kicking and bucking and, and trying to throw off this, this call on my life that God put where he's commanded me to go to Jerusalem and fulfill a purpose to be the sacrifice for all of, all of God's people. He wasn't like, like not me, Lord. Like, get off me. <laughs> Get your promises off me. Like, <laughs> that wasn't his heart. He was like, I'm just going to go calmly. I'm going to be... Like, a picture of that is just blows my mind thinking of, of an animal being led to, to be sacrificed and it being totally silent and just following. And it's hard, too. Another thing's hard. we got to get past is like, you know, lambs and sheep are pretty dumb. So you could probably lead them off the edge of a cliff and they wouldn't say anything. But like, I, you know, I've never really had a pet, but I know, f I watch plenty of movies. So I know sometimes pets memorize like what they can sense when you're taking them to the vet. And like when you turn a certain corner, they freak out. So like I know animals are like that. They're not as dumb as we think they are, or as I think they are. Uh, I know some pets are treasures. <laughs> uh, it just, this image of like Christ walking into Jerusalem, you know, his face was, I imagine his face was the same as when he was walking with the cross on his back. Because in his mind's eye, he, was, he saw that already. You know? 
I, he's not, he knows he's going to be given up to die for the people. And I guarantee you knew, he knew by what means. If not by special revelation from the Lord, it didn't take a scholar to realize the Pharisees can't get me, so they're going to use the Roman overlords, and this is how they kill people. He's seen people crucified before. He knows what a cross looks like. And he knows that's his fate if he goes to Jerusalem. And in his mind, him riding this donkey, uh, it was the same thing. The same attitude. And when all the people around him are praising him and worshiping and saying, blessed is the Lord who, you know, who is our salvation. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Like, and they're praising him. And then he's walking with the cross on his back and now he's got those same people are spitting at him. And yet, you know, it's easy to be like, make promises and be a hero when everyone's celebrating you. But his, his mindset, his attitude, and his face didn't change from that moment to when he was carrying the cross. That's beautiful. So today is a day we, we celebrate. The Lord came and, you know, this, he saved us. It's really cool. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that when you entered Jerusalem, it truly was in triumph. It was in victory. It was... Lord, when you died on the cross and rose again, you accomplished everything you set out to accomplish. Lord, you are the hero of our story. Thank you. We owe our lives to you, Lord. Thank you that you made us righteous enough to come and, and pray these prayers. Thank you that uh, you went willingly and not against, against your own will, that your will was one with the Father's. Pray that we would consider you today and be filled with joy and marvel. In Jesus' name, amen.